The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus said to two of his disciples, go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, what are you doing? You are to say to them, the Lord needs them and they will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the colt and the donkey to him, laid their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And many in the crowd took off their cloaks and spread them on the road. And others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And those who went before him and behind were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning. So we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of the world, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Who is this? Who is this? It's really the question that Holy Week answers. As we walk together through this holiest of weeks, again and again we are confronted with the question, who is this Jesus? It's interesting when you look at the drama, the street theater here on Palm Sunday, it answers the whole question. Jesus, in fact, here at the beginning of Holy Week in this Palm Sunday procession is answering the question, who is this? As you look at the drama, as you look at this bit of street theater, we see who Jesus is. I mean, it's easy to think this just happened spontaneously, that Jesus was on his way and these things all just fell into place and suddenly there was this procession with palms and donkey and the rest. No, in fact, Matthew tells us how carefully Jesus planned this out. As Jesus is preparing to come into Jerusalem, he sends his disciples ahead with very clear instructions. Every bit of this drama is planned out and orchestrated. In fact, so much so that in verse four, Matthew says, this was done to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophets. Jesus intentionally was staging this bit of street theater. And as Bishop Tom Wright says, this wasn't theater meant to entertain. This was a bit of theater meant to proclaim something that Jesus couldn't say in any other way. He had to act it out. See, friends, what happens on Palm Sunday is a picture of what Jesus 
in fact, is always doing in our lives, not just Palm Sunday, not just Holy Week, but when Jesus enters any city, when Jesus enters any home, when Jesus enters any life, he doesn't slip in quietly. No, he orchestrates his entry. He declares who he is. Who is this? This is the ruler. He declares himself to be the ruler, the king, the Lord. Everything here lays this out. But not only that, do we see in this Palm Sunday procession and do we see in the whole of Holy Week and the whole of our lives, this one is declaring himself to be the ruler over rebellious subjects. He's a ruler over rebels. The people who he rules have rebelled against him consistently again and again. And so you think, oh, this is gonna be a story of massive judgment. Yes, judgment will fall this week, but not as you'd expect. For though he declares himself to be the ruler of rebels, what Palm Sunday declares to us is he, the ruler of rebels, has come to make all things right. He comes to reconcile. He comes to make us whole. See, we begin by seeing that he's declaring himself to be the ruler, the king. For 600 years, we need to remember the anticipation. For 600 years, since the fall of Jerusalem, for 600 years, there had been a growing desire and hunger and hope that God would send his anointed one to save them. Israel had been sacked invaded, exiled, and occupied for 600 years. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And a hope had emerged that the Lord would come and fulfill his promises. He would send a Messiah, which means an anointed one, a king, the anointing that goes on the king's head, a Messiah, as we call a Messiah, in Greek, the Christ. A Messiah, The Christ would come, the king, to rule and to kick these pagans off the throne and restore Jerusalem. This was the hope that everyone in Judea longed for. And then Palm Sunday comes and Jesus puts together a little bit of street theater. He brings in a donkey, riding a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah chapter nine. Behold your king coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. And then he has them lay their cloaks on the road before him, which again from 2 Kings chapter 9 is what they do when Jehu becomes king. We roll out the red carpet for our royalty. Judeans throw their cloaks before them. It's a clear sign. Here's the king. And I think even in the palm branches, the palm branches we celebrate today, even this is him intentionally declaring he's the king. For does not Psalm 96 say that when the Lord comes, even the trees of the field will sing for joy before the Lord? And finally, he begins at the Mount of Olives. Again, Zechariah 14, on that day, the Lord's own feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is doing all of these bits to powerfully, clearly proclaim I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I am the one after David's lineage that you've been waiting for. Behold your Christ. No wonder the crowds go before and behind him shouting Hosanna to the son of David. 
The challenge is, we come to Palm Sunday, we think, oh great, the king is here. Hallelujah, we wanna wave our palm branches. But are we prepared for the full implication of what it means the king has come? Are we prepared for what it means that the king has actually entered into our world and into our lives? Because there are profound implications when the king arrives. The most profound of them is that I'm not the king. I'm not in charge. You know, it's Palm Sunday, or sorry, it's, um, it's Palm Sunday today. It's uh, April Fool's yesterday. I always forget April Fool's. It's not a liturgical holiday, uh, so I miss it. But my favorite April Fool's story, and I've told this before, so some of you know this, it's worth telling again. The only time that I've ever remembered it's April Fool's Day in time to do something fun with April Fool's was in 2014. So 2014, it was April Fool's. I woke up early. For some reason, I remembered it's April the 1st. It's April Fool's. I can play an April Fool's joke on someone, on my wife. I had a brand new phone. So I had two phones, my old phone and my new phone. And I realized at seven in the morning that I could get my new phone to text my old phone and I could change the contact name so it looked like my bishop was texting me. Bishop Charlie Masters was texting Paul Donison. And so I thought, this is great. And I wrote myself this text. And I said, well, the background of this is Monica and I had just that month made the important decision that we were going to stay in Ottawa, Canada for the rest of our lives. We had made that decision. We felt it was the right thing. We'd prayed about it and we decided this is where we're going to be. We're comfortable. We're rooted. We're going to be in Ottawa, Canada the rest of our lives. And so we'd made that decision. It was a bit of a tender spot. So I thought, here's where I have some fun. I wrote an email from my bishop saying, Paul, when I talk to you later today, because we had a meeting later that day, I'd like to talk to you about a ministry opportunity in Plano, Texas. Now, yes, this is 2014. I'm not making this up. I have screenshots to prove it. I said, looking for a ministry opportunity in Plano, Texas. And the reason was that I was trying to find the most obscure, far off place than I could ever imagine from Canada. I thought this is the furthest south I'd ever been on the globe because I'd come here once for a church planning conference. So I said, it's audacious, Christ Church Plano. I put it in the text in 2014. I went up, handed my old phone to my wife, old phone because I thought she'd throw it across the room, handed it to her. She read it. She sat up in bed and said, well, that sounds like the Lord. I guess we better start praying. (laughs) She ruined April Fool's. And I said, it's April Fool's, it's a joke. And she said, not really. And (laughs) the amazing thing was 18 months later, 18 months later, I was the rector at Christ Church Plano. The Lord in that moment, I mean, stranger than fiction, right? The Lord in that moment was declaring something over my life and Monica's life and our family's life about his lordship. This is what it means when you have a ruler. This is what it means when you have a king. You're not in charge. Go ahead, make some plans and see what God does. (laughs) The challenge we need to face on this Palm Sunday is we hail Hosanna, we hail the king, is recognize the implications of what it means that we have a king. You know, when you read Jesus' life in scripture, 
you see that he's humble, but he's never modest. He's humble, but he's not modest. Always humble, but he says the most audacious things about himself. He claims every title under the sun for himself. And so he declares who he is in your life and mine. Isn't it fascinating that Paul in Philippians chapter two says of the name of Jesus, he says, now, because of everything that's happened in Holy Week, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. It means that his name is so great that when his name today is said, heaven gets on its knees, earth gets on its knees and even hell itself gets on its knees. This is who our king is and who enters into your life and mine. He comes to rule and reign. He comes as king. But he also demonstrates in this Palm Sunday procession and in this Holy Week before us that he is the ruler over rebels. That we are not as good as we think we are. The king comes in and he finds his subjects in total rebellion. It's interesting, just after the procession, just two verses after I stopped reading in verse 12, the first thing Jesus does is he goes into Pilate's temple, right? Pilate's headquarters and pulls out his big sword and attacks Pilate, right? That'd be in the comic book version. No, Jesus goes into the temple. The first act of the king is to go into his own temple. And what does he do? He's not throwing pagans out. He's throwing out his own people. Those who are becoming money changers, who have corrupted the practice of the temple. He flips their tables and drives them out. The judgment that comes from the king falls on his own people. He comes to his own and he finds his own have rejected him. They have become idolaters. They've become worse than the pagans because they knew better. They've rejected his rule and his authority. You know, it's interesting. In the Bible, rebellion, rebelling against the king has a particular word. It's called idolatry. Anything or person that you and I place in the place of God as king is an idol. We're worshiping something that's an idol. It's a very technical term, right? And it's referring to those little statues, right? There were those little statues that could be carved of wood or stone or metal, right? These little gods you would stick in your house. But we all know it's not about little statues in your house alone. Anything in our lives, any good thing in our lives, we can turn into an idol. We can turn it into something we put our trust in. And anything that we place in the place of God is an idol. And what's interesting is scripture tells us that there is an effect of what an idol does to a person. Psalm 115 speaks of the effects of idols. Speaking of these little statues, but it refers to anything we turn into idols. Psalm 115 verse four, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make any sound in their throat. In other words, these little idols are silent, lifeless, because they're not real. And guess what? Verse eight says, those who make them become like them. And so do those who trust in them. If you worship an idol, if you put anything in the place of the living God, you will become just as dead as that piece of wood. 
Isn't it interesting that Jesus' whole ministry was combating idolatry? Every time he goes around and pronounces the good news of the kingdom, what happens? Blind people start seeing, lame people start walking, deaf people start hearing, and mute people start speaking. His entire ministry is declaring he has come to overcome the effects of our rebellious idolatry. His entire ministry is hope, but his entire ministry also is a condemnation over our states. We are all very rebellious. And I know it's, it's wonderful at this time of year to say, well, isn't it great that I used to be a rebel? Then Jesus came into my life. And isn't it great that I used to be a rebel? The challenge is our rebellion continues. We continue to rebel against the one even as he's entered into our lives. You know, I first became a Christian. I was a stage actor and I was kind of delighted to find out that our local church did drama ministry. I said, on Sunday mornings? Okay. And so they said, well, you're an actor. I said, well, yes, I am. And they said, well, would you like to do some drama ministry? I'm like, finally, you've asked. And so they gave me a little script and it was really weird. And I thought, oh, this is a little weird. I mean, I'm trading in Hamlet for this, but I, I did it anyway. And it was simple, a little bit cheesy, and yet maybe more profound than any work of Shakespeare had ever did. It went like this. It was, it was a little one-man show. It's better when it's that way. And <laughs> just being honest, and um, we're all rebels. And I came out, and it was like 30 seconds long. It consisted of this. It's, it's just one-man show, and, I, and I, I'm standing in front of the church, and I said, oh, hello, Jesus. I'm so glad you've come into my life. Uh, yeah, come on in. Here's my living room. I've got it all cleaned up nicely for you. You can sit here on the couch. Everything's swept kindly. And so just have a seat right there. Just stay there, Jesus. I'm gonna go into the kitchen. No, 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 Jesus. I want you to stay there. I'm gonna go into the kitchen and get you. No, Jesus, I don't want you in the kitchen. I want you to stay right there. Stay, stay there. And um, I'll just, no, no, Jesus, not the bedroom. Not the bedroom, Jesus. Um, oh, oh, and the, the TV room, really, you're not gonna, the, the games room, the backyard. Jesus, would you just sit? Would you? Jesus, you, Jesus, would you just stay here? It was cheesy. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. <laughs> because it's true. What we need to face in Holy Week is that our rebellion continues. As much as we like to believe we've gotten over all these things, and yes, we've been redeemed and set free, and yet we fall back into our rebellion. We fall back into our idolatry again and again. And as we go through Holy Week, we need to realize how much in us is still going to cry out, crucify him at the end of the week. Part of what we need to recognize is that he declares himself to be the ruler over rebels. That's what we are. Be careful if you say you stand, if you think you stand, lest you fall. Jesus declares himself the ruler over rebels. And if we stopped there, this would be terrible news, wouldn't it? This would be the worst of weeks. But Jesus goes further. He's the ruler over rebels. And yet this Holy Week procession, this Palm Sunday procession, and all this Holy Week declares that he comes as the ruler of rebels to make rebels Right. You see it actually in what he does in the temple next. In verse 14, 
of Matthew 21, we're told that after he clears out the temple, the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. And you think, oh, it's just, again, more of Jesus' healing ministry, you know, overcoming the effects of idolatry. No, there's something actually much more profound here because he's in Jerusalem in the temple and it doesn't say the mute and the deaf come. It says the blind and the lame come, a very specific phrase, and he heals them. This is hearkening back to the first time that King David came to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 5. So David has become king, the greatest king of all, right? God's own king. And David comes to Jerusalem and the Jebusites who own Jerusalem reject him as king. They say, David's not gonna come here. David's a weakling. And so what does David do? David, and well, the Jebusites go further. They mock David and they say, David, even the blind and the lame could stand against you. And so what does David do? David sacks Jerusalem, destroys the Jebusites, and then having conquered them, makes a declaration about the blind and the lame who his soul hates, he says, that they shall never come into this house. It's an act of absolute judgment. You don't expect it of David, right? David, the great king, the shepherd king. David says the blind and the lame shall never come in this house. It's a declaration of judgment over those who've rejected him as king. And and there's a part of it that makes sense. You say, this is what happens. As we say as parents, natural consequences. You reject the king, you're gonna get tossed out. And yet here on Palm Sunday, the son of David comes to Jerusalem, a city that too will be full of rebels and will reject him. And what does he do? Does he conquer and curse? No, something greater than David is here. He comes into the temple and the blind and the lame come to him and are healed. He doesn't hate them. He heals them. He doesn't curse his enemies. He cures his enemies. This king doesn't reject those who reject him. He reconciles them to himself. This is what Holy Week means. This king is like no other king. We who deserve nothing but condemnation and death at his coming find life and hope. It's why he rides that donkey in. Ancient Near Eastern kings did ride donkeys. It was a royal animal. But they only rode a donkey into a city when they rode into a city in peacetime. If it was a conflict, they'd ride in with a war horse or a chariot. He rides in on a donkey. He comes in peace. How can he come in peace against a city full of rebels? How can he come into my heart and yours, the rebels that we are, because he comes as the one who will make the peace. It's why on Easter evening, Jesus risen from the dead, having borne all the sins of humanity in his body, will stand before his very scared, very confused disciples, all who ran from him, who rejected him in the last moments. And he will stand before them and will say, peace be with you, or literally, peace be yours will lift up his hands of crucifixion and again say, peace be with you. Peace is yours. Because it is in these wounds 
that the king makes peace. Colossians chapter one describes this, that he is the beginning, Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things in heaven and on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were hostile in mind, alienated and doing evil deeds, he reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless before him. This is what Holy Week is about. This is who our king is. You know, of all the services in Holy Week, my favorite is Monday, Thursday. On Monday, Thursday, not only do we celebrate the foot washing and the stripping of the altar, it's always very important that you get that right. You don't talk about stripping at the altar, it's stripping of the altar. Foot washing, a little bit of priest humor. Um, um, <laughs> the things we say behind the scenes. Um, foot washing and stripping of the altar, but is also the institution of the Lord's Supper. Because on that night, the night before his death, that he takes bread, breaks it, and gives it to him and says, this is my body given for you. Takes the chalice and says, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the new covenant that I'm making in my blood for you for the forgiveness of sins. The reason I, I love that Monday Thursday service is This Eucharistic service, this Lord's Supper, is the gift that we take from Holy Week through the whole of the year. Every week, we celebrate again the Lord's Supper. Every week, again, the whole story of Holy Week enters into our experience. Because I don't know about you, but the problem we have as Jesus enters into our life as the ruler of our rebels is we'll come in some weeks thinking that we should really congratulate ourselves I've done really well this week. Don't congratulate yourself. Or we come in weeks castigating ourselves. I don't belong here. I'm not worthy of any of it. Don't go there either. Because of what happens on this week of weeks. He comes to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He comes to bear the punishment of our rebellion in his own body. What kind of king does this? greater than David is here. Who is this? Who is this, Jerusalem asks? Who is it that you and I ask? He is the ruler of rebels who comes this week to make us right. Will you walk through Holy Week? Will you again struggle with this question, who he is, and then do something about it? The question always is, well, what now? Now that I know who he is, I'm confronted again with the fact that he's the ruler over rebels and he's come to make us right. Well, receive it. We sang it at Christmas. It comes true this week. Where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Lord enters in. The dear Christ enters in. Receive it. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't grab a hold of it. All you can do is come to this rail, kneel down, put your hands forward and receive from him this gift. And so will we this Holy Week discover afresh who he is? And as we do, will we receive him still? Receive him afresh and cry out together.
Hosanna to the Son of David. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.